In this week's episode of Farmers Inside Track, 12 Principles of Permaculture. If you're farming for the future, you should definitely explore this method to create natural ecosystems. When Manisha Gupta and her husband acquired a piece of land in the hope to grow clean food and harvest fresh water, they did not know that their lives would forever be changed. Their Ananda Permaculture Farm is a great example of working with nature to create a self-sustaining and regenerative ecosystem. Soil Sisters, our brand new campaign celebrating female farmers across South Africa, is back with Tsolu Penyenye. She runs a mixed farming operation producing cattle, feed and crops in the Northwest. Powered by Corteva AgriScience, we highlight some of the extraordinary women who are participating in the Corteva Women Agripreneur Program 2021, a year-long blended development program at the Gordon Institute of Business, Science Entrepreneurship Development Academy. Nzanzi's financial year is off to a rocky start with an expected inflation hike. While the inflation outlook remains at 3.5%, F&B Agribusiness says things could most likely change. But what does this mean for the agricultural sector? Economist Lunati Thakanyane unpacks the impact the inflation hike has on the cost of borrowing and how it will impact the agri-sector and consumers. Our book of the week, The Leader Who Had No Title by Robin Sharma. If you're into self-mastery and leadership, then this book is a must-read. Cane growers, listen up. This week, we find out more about the purest farming app specifically designed for you. Right after that, our farmer tip of the week comes from Delwyn Pillay, a full-time volunteer and activist for Greenpeace Africa but also an ecologist at heart. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey Mzansi, welcome to episode 68 of Food for Mzansi's weekly podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu. Happy month end Farmers Inside Track family, I'm Duncan Masiwa and thank you for listening to South Africa's most downloaded Farmers Podcast. Listen, buckle up because you're in for quite an exhilarating ride. First up, 12 Principles of Permaculture. Journalist Donovan Eden chats to Andrew Ardington, founder of the Regenerative Agriculture Association of South Africa. He sees permaculture as falling under the broader concept of regenerative agriculture. Let's find out why. Permaculture and other traditional farming practices are based on indigenous or traditional knowledge that has been developed over many generations to form farming systems that are regenerative, self-sustaining and resilient systems modeled from natural ecosystems. But far from just being a farming practice, permaculture also has the lifestyle of the farmer at its core. Andrew Oddington, founder of the Regenerative Agriculture Association of South Africa, sees permaculture as falling under the broader concept of regenerative agriculture. Hi, my name is Andrew Oddington and I am the founder of the Regenerative Agriculture Association of South Africa. So Andrew, what is the difference between permaculture and regenerative agriculture? I see permaculture as one of many of the farming techniques or systems 
that falls under the broader concept of regenerative agriculture. Aside from permaculture, regenerative agriculture incorporates numerous farming systems. Biodynamic farming, regenerative organic farming, zero-budget farming, agroecological farming, holistic management, and planned grazing, to mention a few. At their core, they all have two things. Firstly, care of the soil, and secondly, working with rather than against nature. Most interpretations of permaculture and regenerative agriculture extend their definitions beyond the farm to include the environment and the community around the farm. How can we utilize these techniques to improve traditional agriculture and why is that important? The big problem with traditional agriculture is that it is not sustainable. I don't like to use that term to describe our dominant farming system as there are lots of traditional farming systems that are templates for building sustainable futures. I prefer to use the term conventional agriculture. Conventional agriculture works against rather than with nature and consequently requires extensive external inputs while continuously degrading its soil base. The solution to this problem is to apply more of the external inputs, more synthetic fertilizer and more chemicals. But ultimately, with an eroding base, the equation does not work out. We need to develop farming systems that do not deplete our soils with each passing crop, but that rather regenerate our soils and increase plant biomass and diversity. Conventional agriculture pundits will respond to this that we have to farm their way to feed the world's growing population. But it's going to be difficult to feed the current population, let alone a growing one, when the soil and other external inputs run out and the environment is so degraded that it can no longer support us. What are some of the principles for permaculture and for regenerative agriculture? Both regenerative agriculture and permaculture have a set of principles. And as I go through them, you will see that there are many overlapping areas, but that permaculture is much more specific and has the lifestyle of the farmer at its core. On the other hand, the principles of regenerative agriculture are focused on the soil microbiology and how best to look after it. Moving on to the 12 principles of permaculture. The first is observe and interact that we as the farmer are part of the system rather than a distant observer pulling levers from afar. The second is to catch and store energy. Energy is abundant in nature and we need to use it. The third is to obtain a yield. You cannot be sustainable if you don't get something back from your input. The fourth is to apply self-regulation and feedback. You are part of the system and both you and it need to be observed and tweaked. Five, use and value renewables. That's self-explanatory. Number six, produce no waste. There is no waste in nature and we need to try and emulate this in our farming. Number seven, design from patterns to details. Start with a big picture and work inwards from there. We need to think holistically. Number eight is integrate, don't segregate. Things work better together than apart. A perfect example of this is plant and animal agriculture. Number nine, use small, slow solutions. Start small and grow, learning as you go. Number 10, use and value diversity. Diversity in nature is essential. Nature does not do monocultures. Use edges and value the marginal. In other words, make use of all the resources available to you. And then finally, number 12, 
creatively use and respond to change. Change will happen. You need to plan for it and flow with it. As you can see, these principles of permaculture apply just as well to a way of life as to farming. The first principle of regenerative agriculture is limited disturbance. You want to limit the disturbance of the soil as much as possible. This includes both mechanical disturbance in terms of plowing and chemical in terms of fertilizers and pesticides. The second principle is always keep the soil covered. The soil needs to be protected from the sun, the wind and the rain and ideally should always be covered in plants and or mulch. The third principle of regenerative agriculture is diversity. Nature does not work in monocultures and we need to be aware that monocultures do not do a good job of feeding our soil biology. You can't give them cornflakes for breakfast, lunch and supper. The fourth principle is a living root. If there isn't a living plant in the soil that is actively photosynthesizing, then the soil biology is being starved. We want to have a growing plant for as much of the year as possible. And finally, we need to reintroduce animals. With the advent of chemical inputs, plant and animal agriculture were separated, and that resulted in soil decline and the need for more chemicals. Farm animals are mobile biodigesters who basically produce microbe-rich composts in as short as 24 hours. And there's a direct link between the microbiology in the gut of the animal and the microbiology in the soil. The principles of regenerative agriculture are not very difficult to understand, but unlike chemical farming, they do not provide the farmer with a recipe, and that recipe will vary with geography and climate. So farmers need to work out how to best achieve these principles in their own area and to farm while applying them. The biggest barrier to implementing these principles is change. Our inherent fear of change and the cost of change, both the real cost and the imagined cost. This is what we need to assist farmers with so that they may overcome it and can move towards regenerative means of production. Regenerative farmers are more profitable as they have lower input costs. Regenerative farms are more resilient to dry periods, something that is becoming more and more important with climate change. Regenerative farms are not degrading their asset base, their soil, but rather they are building it up. And regenerative farms are not contributing to environmental collapse. All of these come together to offer great benefit to the farmer of the future. How can we take these principles and implement them in our farming practices? And how can these be beneficial for farmers? At the heart of the matter is living with and getting the best from nature rather than fighting it. We need to make our food systems more resilient. We need to make the rain we get work better for us. We need to increase global photosynthesis. We need to build our soil to be able to produce food for us in a hundred years time. If we stay with conventional agriculture and chase non-soil silver bullet technology solutions, we will not achieve this. We have to move conventional agriculture towards those farming systems that have soil at their core. Permaculture is one of many agricultural systems that come under the regenerative agriculture umbrella. And these diverse systems and the equally diverse cultures they come along with have the ability to change the self-destructive course we are currently navigating. The challenge to all of us is to get existing conventional farmers to move towards one of these systems. Thank you so much for all your time, Andrew, and for elaborating on the benefits of permaculture. Who knows? 
maybe all our farming practices will look more like this in the future. Wow, really insightful. Permaculture really is a way of life, Donna. On that note, up next is Manisha Gupta, who chats about their permaculture farm. In a TED Talk, she unpacks how they've managed to work with nature to create a self-sustaining and regenerative ecosystem on their Ananda permaculture farm. I have to admit, I've had a doomsday view of the world for as long as I can remember. I believe the primary challenges of the future are going to be the lack of clean drinking water, nutritious food, and clean air. Ever since I became a mother, I was keen to save a piece of nature for my children and my family. I used to tell my husband, let's find a way to grow our own food and harvest our own water. But living in Mumbai with busy corporate lives and no background in farming, it sounded like a crazy idea to pursue. It was in 2010 that a friend of ours told us about permaculture. She said permaculture or permanent agriculture was a way of farming in which you create an ecosystem with plants, animals, birds and insects and they come together to create a highly productive food forest. It was a system of design that works with nature instead of against it, mimicking its patterns and using its forces to do most of the work. This idea captured our imagination and we decided this was something we wanted to do. Within a few weeks, my husband left for Chandigarh, which is our hometown, in search of agricultural land. After nearly being conned by a bunch of property dealers, he zeroed in on a six-acre piece of land on the foot of Morni Hills. The land had gentle slopes and a village pond, but no vegetation apart from half a dozen scraggy date palms. The soil was yellow, dry, and compacted. It had no organic life. It was simply dirt. In fact, our six-year-old said, Mama, you said we were buying a farm and this looks like a desert. When we started designing the farm, we roped in a bunch of villagers from the nearby village, led by a supervisor fondly known as Pandiji. Pandiji was a farmer at heart, but to supplement his meager agricultural income, he had done various odd jobs like being a contractor, managed a poultry farm, and even run a street-side dhaba. When I shared our plans of growing food organically on this land, Pandiji said, Madam Ji, yaha dawai ke bina kuch nahi hogega. He acknowledged that chemical farming had made farmers dependent on synthetic fertilizers, but maintained that without them, it was impossible to grow anything. Not just fertilizer, he told us that farmers were buying seeds, weedicides, and pesticides year on year, and this was drowning them in debt. Is there any other way to farm? He asked me. Well, I told him my research said there was. But decades of ravaging our earth will take some time to build back. Systematic destruction of our soils will need some investment to make them fertile again. We had been taking from our planet for so long, we would have to give back just a little. In the monsoon of 2011, when we arrived at the farm to start work, we were in for a shock. Our farm was completely flooded with a rainwater deluge from the nearby Morni Hills. Water flowed down the slopes with such severe intensity, it took with it precious topsoil and destroyed several structures on the way. What was even more shocking was that the next day, the sun was out and there wasn't a drop of water on the land. It had all run off within 24 hours. Our permaculture books told us that we had to manage this water. We had to slow it down, soak it in, and store it. So we started by building swales. 
Swales are trenches that you build around contour lines, and these act as speed breakers for when water flows down the hill. We then built a channel which would give a defined path to the water as it flowed through the land and found its way to the ponds. We lined these channels with bamboos, date palms, grasses, which would slow down the water and clean it. And finally, we dug two large ponds and four shallow pools to collect and store this water. Within a few years, our water management was completely in place, and today, water flows through our land like a song. Whenever it rains, not a drop leaves our property, and on good days of rainfall, we collect up to five million liters of water. I have to admit, one of my favorite sights in the world is to watch water flow through our farm. The first step in giving back to the planet is planting trees. We decided to plant a thousand trees to start with. Panditji was appalled at this plan. He said, "Madamji, no farmer plants trees on their land because you cannot grow crops in the shade of the trees." He also warned us that if you plant trees on your land, the value of your property will drop dramatically because no buyer wants to buy land with trees on it. We explained to Panditji that in permaculture, trees are at the heart of the design. They give permanence to the farm. They help build an ecosystem. They hold the soil in place. They build groundwater and build the fertility of the soil. They also provide useful biomass, which helps to fertilize the top soil. So it was important for us to plant these trees. Eventually, a reluctant Panditji helped us plant over 5,000 trees over the years, ranging from fruits to flowering to avenue, medicinal, and native trees. And this is what makes up our food forest today. Thanks for joining us, permaculturalist Manisha Gupta. Next up, the 2020 supplementary budget review anticipated that South Africa's real GDP growth was expected to plummet by 7.2 percent. This is due to restricted economic activity to contain the spread of COVID-19. According to the Reserve Bank, there is a looming inflation hike of 50 basis points in April 2021. Experts believe that this will probably have unfavorable impacts on farmers. According to FNB Agribusiness, the inflation remains at 3.5 percent. Agricultural economist Lunati Tlakanyane says that this may have a significant impact on the cost of borrowing and the average price of the food basket. Lunati, people can often get lost in the financial jargon. And all they take away is life is going to be more expensive. In layman's terms, what does the inflation hike mean, and what is the increase? Inflation is the rate at which the value of a currency is falling at the same time the general price of goods and services across the economy is rising. In other words, inflation refers to a sustained increase in the cost of living as prices rise. Now there are multiple metrics used to measure inflation, but the most common one is the consumer price index, or quite simply CPI, which measures the average price changes over time that consumers pay for a basket of goods. Now there are two primary causes of inflation, and the first one is cost push.、Uh, this occurs when a rise in the cost of production offsets a rise in the price of goods and services, and the second. Second one is demand pull, and this occurs when a rise in aggregate demand pushes up prices as goods become scarce. What does this inflation hike mean for the agri sector, especially looking at turnover, 
production cost, labor cost and the import and export markets. Well, the most immediate impact on agriculture is that the cost of finance and farm operations may likely rise, which will compromise optimal productivity and, by definition, gross farm profitability. And secondly, we're also likely to see a wide-scale deflection of investment in farm machinery, equipment, buildings, dams and so forth. And of course, this will place enormous pressure on the primary link of the agricultural value chain, which in turn may offset a further food price inflation down the line. And then finally, what will this mean for consumers and their spending habits and money-buying power? Well, the average cost of a food basket for a South African household is roughly over 4,000 rands, which is markedly higher than the national minimum wage of 3,500 rands. So a further rise in food prices will most certainly nudge a lot of households into the brink of food insecurity. Thanks so much for joining us, agricultural economist Lunati Tlakanyane. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's yummy. It's good for you. And the whole family loves it. It's grain-filled chickens, proudly South African and mouth-wateringly delicious. Discover a world of tasty goodness and visit Grain-Filled Chickens for Siodudzere or like our Facebook page for more. Grain-Filled Chickens, a proud member of VKB. VKB, for the love of the land. Next up is our book of the week as chosen by our farmers. This week we flip through the pages of a book titled The Leader Who Had No Title by Robin Sharma. Our Sinhalese citizen journalist Lunga Chakuja reviewed this book. Hey Dawn and Duncan, this week we'll be reading The Leader Who Had No Title by Robin Sharma. If you are into self-mastery and leadership, then this book is a must-read. Whether you are a cleaner, taxi driver, stay-at-home mom, we all have the responsibility to show leadership. Leadership is not about a title and a business card. It's a way of thinking, a way of being, and shifting from the victim mentality into leadership. This self-help book showcases how people within an organization need to adopt personal leadership. It's all about playing at your peak and getting to your absolute best. I have to be honest, the cover didn't attract me, but the author caught my eye. And I will give it a 7 out of 10. Until next time, happy reading. Thanks, Lunga Jaguja. Remember, you can email info at foodformzanzi.co.za if you want to suggest the next book of the week. Next up, our app of the week. If you're a cane grower in KwaZulu-Natal or Mpumalanga, listen up. Purist is an innovative mobile app for cane growers offered by the South African Sugarcane Institute. The app provides growers with helpful ripening recommendations based on BRICS readings. So the Purist is an innovative mobile app for cane growers offered by the South African Sugarcane Institute. So we played around with this app a bit and a new version of this app was actually released last year. This update refines the spray date guide so that there are no inconsistencies between the smartphone app recommendations and the South African Sugarcane Institute information sheets. In addition, the spray-to-harvest interval is also provided with the recommended spray date. That's amazing and will definitely make the farmer's life so much easier. Do check it out. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes 
who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. You're tuned into Farmers Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Foodform Zanzi. Powered by Corteva AgriScience, we are now introducing you to an extraordinary woman farmer participating in a year-long blender development program at the Gibbs Business School. This week, we meet Tzolo Penyenye. This soul sister runs a mixed farming operation producing cattle, feed and crops in the Northwest. Tzolo, where and how did your farming journey start? You know, I was raised by a farmer, to be quite honest with you. So I've been farming for as long as I can remember because my father basically worked as a farmer since 1987 and he took us to school through farming. But me personally, I took over when he passed away, which was 2016. I actively took over, you know, the running and management of the farm. It's only been sort of five years. Tell us about some of the toughest lessons you've learned along the way. Working as a flight attendant, I enrolled and I did my studies in marketing. So I also have a marketing background, marketing research to be specific. So I did a lot of interviews, group work, group sessions and so forth. In depth interviews, we did what you call holistic group interviews and so forth. I had a bit of a break from being a flight attendant when I went into corporate. And then from corporate, I went back to farming. Because I regard my father as my lifeline, instilled a lot of focus and a lot of determination and resilience. I didn't know I had such good attributes about myself. And I'm proudly now admitting it. When you've got such attributes where you're resilient, they are sort of associated with tenacity and power to move on. And the option, I think for me, or I believe for me, what made it even more substantial, I took a clear, conscious decision to say, Failure is not an option. I don't take it on at all. If I do fail, then where am I going? If I enter something and I say, I look forward to failing, then where exactly am I going? Even as scary and as daunting as it was, I knew that if I take it on, being that I've got so many supporters, I've got so many people who are watching, some maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way, I'm not sure. It must just happen. I'll do this emotional intelligence and planning my development and so forth give myself timelines. The challenges personally was emotional intelligence. I only realized while I'm doing this course, even then, I'm not that emotional intelligent because I get frustrated and I just want to pull everything apart, which is not good. So emotional intelligence from a personal point of view, it has been a challenge. And just understanding it. And the third truth about emotional intelligence is that you don't even have to understand because it changes everything. The emotions change. Emotions change every single day understanding those changes and adapting your personality and your character to those changes. For me, it's quite important. Because then if you can do that, you can lead your crew, you can see your projects through and benefit financially. All these things, successes will come through. If you really plan and know where you're going, and it has been hasty, sometimes you want to change, sometimes you're scared, sometimes you do this. But once you make a decision, that's why intuition is very important. Once you came to that decision, there's no turning back. You just have to see through because remember, in farming, once you take on a decision or a project and you start that project, the first thing you're doing is actually instilling money. If you start a project and not see through, where is that money going to go? It's important for the outcome to be a financial gain. In the process, you go through your emotional intelligence. Yes, you go through coaching. 
when the finances are up to scratch, you are able to support your crew, support your families. And then do you have any advice to other women entering the farming arena? I did want to pursue my other things and I actually took action and pursued other things, which is very, very surreal because it brought me back to farming. And, you know, sometimes people think that when you eventually do something that you didn't think you would do it before, that it's a mistake. It's actually not a mistake. For me, it was actually a blessing. I worked for a good couple of years in corporate. People don't even know about me. Is that I used to be a flight attendant for South African Airways. I actually started at ComAir. It was before they merged with British Airways. We used to actually fly those small, small aircraft, you know, the Fokker 27. They don't even have a galley. And small jets like your, you know, ATR 42 and so forth. That's how I started my career. As I spent most of my time there. I did my studies. The flight attendant, she aspired to, you know, flying international. And then I went to South African Airways. So an opportunity was presented. Wow. What an amazing story, Tolo. Keep on keeping on. Thanks, Tolo Penyenye. I can't wait to hear who's next on our Soil Sisters campaign, powered by Koteva AgriScience. Remember to stay tuned for our Farmer's Tip of the Week from Delwyn Pillay. Delwyn is a full-time farmer and activist for Greenpeace Africa. But first, on a lighter note, Christmas is great and all, but if you ask us, the best holiday feast of them all is Easter lunch. Johannesburg food stylist and cookbook author Diane Bibby shares her secret to preparing this traditional dish. I like playing around with different flavors. So for my pickled fish, what I really love last year was I make a preserved lemon salsa to go with the pickled fish. And it's so not traditional, but it's absolutely wonderful. And I would say that's a little secret to the pickled fish for me. Uh, you know, it's personal. Everyone will say it's got to be turmeric or it's got to be more onions or more this, but I think the not the obvious one is what makes it really special. But I think as we go along, you add your interpretation and everybody's palate is different. So while you uphold those traditions and all the cultures and all the, the aromas and everything that go with it, I think that preserved lemon has got a wonderful ascendancy and a sharpness and it's it just complements the picture beautifully and it's, it's untraditional but really lovely. Thanks, Cook Diane Bubby. Be sure to check out her interview and recipe on foodformzanzi.co.za. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's super fresh, it's super soft, and it makes a meal a treat. It's super sure bread and super sure flour. A proud member of the VKB Group. From breakfast to lunch and even birthday cakes, Supershaw makes the whole family smile. Find Supershaw on Facebook or visit vkb.co.za for more info. VKB, for the love of the land. We've just about reached the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track episode. But before we let you go, Delwyn Pillay, a full-time volunteer and activist for Greenpeace Africa, shares a few quick tips for new permaculturalists. So my quick tips for upcoming permacultures is to keep things as simplistic as possible. Going back to the basics, use whatever resources you already have at hand. Keep your input as low as possible. Also keep realistic, achievable goals, goals that you can achieve every day. 
work on a small scale and you can gradually scale up. So that ensures that you're always meeting your goals. You always are encouraged and motivated to keep on going. You don't want to invest on a lot of infrastructure and then you see that you're not meeting your goals and then you discourage and then you find yourself in a deep hole. And then also ensure that whatever you do is fun and enjoyable. So every day you add it, you join the journey along the way. Also judge your progress and you find similarities because permaculture is part of a network. You hear other people's journey along permaculture. Each person's journey is unique, so enjoy your experience. Be patient. You're working with nature, so you have to respect nature and timeline with nature. So you can't be impatient. You have to respect your own journey and enjoy it along the way. And Darwin Pillay's Farmer Tip of the Week brings us to the end of this week's Farmer's Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Food Foodform Zanzi. For daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists to go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Yes, and of course, remember if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers. The Farmers Inside Track is available for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and of course also on foodformzanzi.co.za. From me, Dor Numdu, Duncan Masiwa, contributors Donna Van Eden, Nolutandu Ngakani, Sindeliswe citizen journalist Lunga Jakuja, and the rest of the Food for Mzanzi team, have a great week, a blessed Easter weekend. And please, let's continue to keep each other safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. Corteva is in it for farmers, for good. As a company solely focused on agriculture, we understand the impact of climatic and soil diversity, the unique requirements of each region, each farmer, each crop, and the need for sustainability. To this, we apply our global mind. With 5,000 researchers in more than 130 countries, ensuring farmers of advanced seed technology and guarding growing investments through innovative crop protection. Local investment includes research facilities on par with the best in the world and the largest private insectary in Africa. Advanced genetic breeding is combined with intense trials, testing and refinement in different bioclimatic zones to bring forth the best in-class products. Beyond in-seed value, our on-seed applied technology on farm crop protection, digital and agronomic solutions are all designed to optimize farmers' productivity, profitability and sustainability. Because by being wholly devoted to agriculture, we have a deeper understanding of farming, the needs of our farmers, and the country's need for farmers. This is what drives our researchers to find new avenues for sustainable growth. It is the reason for having state-of-the-art seed production technology on home ground. Our motivation 
for creating effective, locally proven solutions to protect land and crops with care for the future. This is the world of Corteva in South Africa. Growing progress, enriching lives, now and for generations to come. Corteva, keep growing. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Form Zanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.